0: Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees Podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host Joe Milmine and this is episode you, 62, right. an interview with Kate Atherley.
1: I feel a need to laugh again with you, if that's alright.
0: Hello, hello and welcome into another fantastic episode of the Shiny Bees Podcast. Today is Tuesday the 1st of September 2015. Hello, how are you all? I hope you're all well since the last time I spoke to you. It's raining again in Scotland, it will be of no surprise to you whatsoever to hear that and it is pretty cold, the dehumidifier has gone on and... I think the final thrunge of summer happened when I bantered the weather a couple of weeks ago. And from here on in, I expect it to be nothing but cold, a little bit dark and an awful lot damp. But still, that means we have plenty of time to be doing some knitting and lots of opportunities to be wearing our knitwear, which is what we all live for, quite frankly. It is September already, can you believe it? Where has the time gone? Where has the summer gone? A lot of you, if you're in England, will be doing somersaults today as your beloved children head back to their place of education. And the madness that is the summer holidays will be dying down. The children went back a couple of weeks ago in Scotland, so it's been business as usual for a while here, I guess. And um if that is you, or if you're waving your little wee one off for the first time to big school in a little uniform, wondering where the time went, drying a little tear, and uh, thinking of all the fun activities you can get up to whilst they're at school, <laughs> I hope it isn't too hard on you. I hope it isn't too hard on you. So yeah, what do I have for you all today? Well, as always, I have a little bit of news and... I have an interview. It will be the last regular interview for the summer period. I'll still be doing interviews probably every other week, but there will be a return back to our more usual format now we're moving into September. There are going to be some exciting segments starting on the show. There will be lots more Make It Fit content. I had a brilliant planning meeting with Madame Knit British herself uh, last week about what we're going to be talking about, so we're delighted to be bringing all of that. To you on a kind of exploration, if you will, of um, all things knitting to fit. And Kate Atherley has some great tips for you coming up in this interview about how you make stuff that fits. Also, if you watch the Fibre Trek podcast, you'll know there's been a bit of secret polar explorer plotting going on between myself and Sarah regarding bit of knit along action a bit of epic knit along action and you know how it goes with me if we're going to do anything it needs to be an epic so i was completely on board with this idea we are still working out the finer points of what the knit along will be and the bounds thereof it's going to be quite fluid but the essential information that you need to know is that it's going to be aimed at tackling something that you consider to be a bit of an epic exploration. Something that you would like to learn, some dangerous and dastardly journey you would like to go on with no particular end in sight and no real plan about what you're going to do, um, then we're going to provide a forum for that. Um, Sarah's just gone back to school this week so hopefully i'll catch up with her and be able to flesh out some details but she is going to be knitting the frost at midnight cardigan which is a pattern from yokes by kate davies which came out almost a year ago now i think it was just before christmas when it came out i'm not mentioning the c word you did not hear that c word then um and it's certainly a pattern the pattern that caught my eye enough to make me want to buy the book although there are several other yoked patterns in there so it's entirely likely that i will embark upon that being a massive fan of beaded knitting now after i finish the shawl of awesome so what we will do is get ourselves comfy get snuggled up under a beautiful wool blanket if you have and get yourself a Roy Boss again as usual we're all about south african tea at the moment it's lovely it's warming and that's exactly what you need in this weather let's be honest but if you don't want tea hot chocolate will do you know, roll with it, go for an Irish coffee, let's go mental, and we will crack on with the show. So in the nitty news then, because we always like to start off with a bit of nitty news, don't we? First of all, I would like to address the How Do You Solve a Problem Like the UK Podcasters Awards. Um, I have been banging on about it for the last couple of months I'm going to stop banging on about it now because voting has closed but what I would like to do is say a huge thank you to every one of you who voted for the podcast in those awards who's been in touch um, to talk about it and who's shared it on social media with uh, your friends and nitty colleagues it is very much appreciated I won't find out how we've done until the awards ceremony I believe so fingers crossed but Millie is going to be coming along with me and hopefully being in central Manchester we'll be able to get some signal maybe he can periscope it who knows uh, but we will certainly make a plan for that a little bit close to the time even though it is only 11 days away crazy and, um, <laughs> and I have a shawl to finish and it's only 11 days Eek! Um, it's fine I've got a plan don't worry about it but yeah I just wanted to say thank you very much for all of you that voted for the show and took your time out to to do so, it's very much appreciated. Now I know the real thing that you want to hear about is the shawl of awesome. I undertook to knit a beautiful beaded shawl uh, as my part of the bargain. If you guys voted for me, I would knit a beautiful beaded shawl of awesomeness um, to wear to the awards ceremony, with the theory being that, you know what, if we don't win, and I hope we do, but if we don't, because it isn't all about winning, it's just about trying, Um that I would still have at the end of it this beautiful beaded shawl and I would still know how kind you all were to vote for the show and that would be awesome. So I started knitting at Out of Darkness by Boo Knits, who is quite frankly a magician when it comes to the knit design field, particularly if you want a beaded beautiful lace shawl that looks amazing but does not require a lot of effort to execute then Boo Knits should be absolutely number one on your list. Her patterns are really accessible, they're very easy to follow, they're very well laid out and you know what if I can knit a beautiful bead of shawl of awesome in four weeks with one of her patterns then pretty much anyone can because you know what I'm like. My um Ambitions somewhat exceed my ability in the knitting department at times, but having put in a lot of concentrated effort onto this project in the last couple of weeks, because I can't let you guys down, it's not how I roll, I don't let you guys down, Um, I can wholeheartedly say I would recommend her patterns to anyone, even if you are new, all you need to do is make sure you've got plenty of stitch markers, get your lifelines in and you're going to be fine it is progressing very very nicely indeed i have about 10 rows left of the 24 row chart d things did take a little bit of a slide last week when i had to pack up a lot of parcels for the golden skein which have all been posted um now but i mortared on it over the weekend got plenty of rows done they're very long rows now they're about 300 and odd stitches so it is quite long but very very doable very easy to um to manage so I have about thirty rows left and eleven days in which to execute that. So, I'm gonna have to pull my socks up a little bit and up the row amount I think too. If I go five rows a day from now, that will take me six days, and then I'll have time to block it and make sure it's all done. And that's that's pretty achievable. I've done I've done quite a lot of it on it over the weekend, so. I'm keeping it, you know, I'm keeping it tracked, Um, I won't be casting it off on the way to the Awards ceremony, I'm determined not to do that, Um, because it needs blocked, more than anything, but it is beautiful. The yarn I'm using is Dye for yarn, 100% uh mulberry silk, in fine lace weight, and it is held double, so it's coming out quite pretty. I've been putting some pictures on Instagram every few days, so you can check it out on there. But yeah other than that it's going well hopefully by this time next week I will have a finished object to show you but the good and very exciting news regarding that is I've been in touch with lovely Boonits, who is going to be part of the indie designer spotlight this weekend at the great London yarn crawl pop-up marketplace now they've been our sponsors for the last sort of six weeks and it is this weekend coming that the event is taking place all of the tickets for the actual crawl have sold out but there are still tickets available for the marketplace and um, that is where the indie designer spotlight is going to be. So if you fancy a little trip out to London, you know, if you're in the area, clearly if you're in South Africa you're probably not going to make it in time for the weekend but you know, I'll invite you anyway and um, I am going to be, the, be there, I'm going to be floating around the marketplace all day helping with PHOP and I'm going to be bouncing on the door between two and three, so no messing, don't try and get in without your wristbands, you're actually going down, Um, take it very seriously, <laughs> my whole five foot two self, and uh, come along and say hello, but she has very kindly agreed to be interviewed for the podcast, so it'd be brilliant to finish the shawl and uh, and then talk to her about that, because I know a lot of the theme around that particular shawl was um to do with mental health stuff, and Out of Darkness being... Part of a saying to do with mental health. So I think it would be really interesting to hear about her background really. Because you don't really hear a lot from Boonit. She's not one of these people that you see popping up all over all the social media. But her patterns, you can spot a mile off. So I think she's going to be really interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. There is a group thread open in Ravelry. So if you are going to Great London Yarn Crawl, um, pop over and let me know. I'll say hello to you. In other news... I have news of a charity project that is ongoing and it's being run by a good friend of mine in South Africa, Sally Cameron, also known as Pink Hair Girl. Now, you will have met Pinky before. She has been a guest on the podcast where she talked about writing a knitting book whilst raising her three little pinklets at the same time. She's absolutely lovely. If you don't watch her podcast, you can find her podcasting over at Pink Hair Girl. And they've very recently, in the last week or so, released... um, a pattern called the Phoenix Hat. What's that got to do with us, Jo? Well, basically her little daughter, Rachel, has been a listener of my podcast since she was about eight or nine. She's absolutely lovely. She's a complete inspiration. She's such a community-spirited little girl. Um, Last year, I think it was, she cut off... She had really long hair, like, all the way down to the bottom of her back. She cut off all of her hair and gave it to a charity that made wigs for um, little little kiddies who have cancer. And she's also been working for the last year and this year on a, um, a project as a youth ambassador for something called the Kaylee Campaign. And as part of that, she learns about leadership and citizenship and things, but she also takes part in a community service project. And they were working to support the Burns Unit at the Red Cross Children's Hospital in Cape Town in South Africa. And they basically got together and started to collect different um, items that the people in the Burns unit needed. Pinky went along to visit and Rachel actually went along to to deliver some of these and they've been running a project ongoing where they've been collecting knitted hats and washcloths to uh, take along for victims of Burns, basically. And essentially, a lot... (laughs) a lot of families in south africa particularly those that live in the less affluent areas are very prone to suffering from burns injuries the reason for this is because um if you live in, if you're in on the poorer demographic um quite often families will live in a informal settlement is i think what you know the the term that is used it's like shacks it's built with wood built with tin um, or breeze blocks sometimes and quite often they'll be cooking on a big massive open fire for, for you know for extended family Um they will not have electricity so they'll be using paraffin lamps and um all of these don't really add up to being the safest of environments really when um when you're little and there's open fire and paraffin lamps around and unfortunately when there is a bad winter in South Africa there tends to be an awful lot of burns injuries that take place particularly for children and the Red Cross Children's Hospital has a specific burns unit that helps to deal with that directly. Now it's, it's been quite a cold winter in South Africa and the problem with um, there being a fire in an informal settlement area is quite often these houses are built very close together and if one person has a fire normally they will lose everything as well, Um, but often the fire will spread throughout the area so it won't necessarily just be the one family that is affected. So it's really harsh basically, it's a harsh reality of living in those kinds of conditions and it's something that happens quite frequently and it's it's pretty nasty for the kids involved essentially so what they've been doing is they've been collecting things that the burns unit needs to um to support them as part of rachel's community work which i think is just is brilliant basically so what they do is is they've been collecting together little packs of sweeties so when the kids have a traumatic um Procedure like if they have a Burns dressing changed or, you know, quite often they'll have to have skin grafts or or all sorts of things. Um, They give them little cups of sweeties afterwards just to cheer them up a little bit. Um, They're also providing hand-knitted hats from baby size through to adult size um, because, as I've said, you know, quite often these people will lose everything and it will be in winter and the Cape Town in winter is cold. It's not like where I used to live where it would be cold overnight, but it'd be 25 degrees again by um, by lunchtime. And frankly, that is still hot weather in Limpopo. Um, the Cape gets cold, very cold, and they've lost everything and, and they're cold. So they provide hand-knitted hats and they also provide toiletry packs for the mothers who come to care for the children. Quite often they'll be from a poor area, they won't have the luxury of having a spare set of toiletries to bring with them if they have toiletries at all, you know, it's it's not we're not talking poor, we're talking poor poor. Um and the the hospital encourages them to come along and look after the children and stay with the children to, you know, to look after them. So they need to be able to wash and keep hygienic and things because infection's a real problem with burns. And they just might not have any of that stuff available to them. So they've been making these toiletry packs for the mums as well, which is brilliant. You know, it's it's t- something for everyone. And within that, they've been putting some hand-knitted washcloths just to... It must be really hard if your child gets burned really badly. um, And it, it would be nice to think someone, if, if I was in that situation, that someone had made something for you um, and was thinking of you as well and the effect it has on you. Now in order to keep on doing this they would quite like to carry on raising money to support the hospital so she's still taking um, donations of hats and washcloths and if you would like to knit either of those items you can send them over and they will take them in at the beginning of the South African winter which is sort of April May next year because it's opposite to Northern Hemisphere so it's inverted commas summer here it's winter there at the moment the end of the winter. Um, So you can do that, but what she's also done to try and keep some sort of money coming in so they can carry on supporting this, is she's designed a hat. And this is called the Phoenix Hat, and it's named after the charity project that one of the doctors set up, which is what they're supporting. It's called the Phoenix Project. It's been designed by Pinky. Claire, our Clare Divine, has tech-edited it for free, and it will be on sale. It's on sale now for $2.00. Uh, So you get a hat, you don't have to knit that hat and send that hat over to South Africa uh, by any means, although you can if you want to, any knitted hat will do. But what it means is there's a way of supporting the project without necessarily having to to knit something and send it um, and to be able to do it on an ongoing basis if you will. So I will put the link to the video in the show notes where Pinky and Rachel explain all about it and show you the hat pattern and i am also going to give away five copies of the pattern chosen at random to members of the shiny bees group because we're now over 500 members so watch out for that i will be sending that those out as my contribution this month to to the uh, project and hopefully that will go um somewhere to to helping these little kiddies and their mums in the burns unit the other thing to bear in mind at the moment is the rand is very weak compared to particularly the Great British Pound um, but also the US dollar so any money that you send will go further than it normally would which is really good so if you do have some extra I'm sure there will be um, a way for you to just send it by PayPal and a hundred percent of this money will go to that hospital and to those kids I think it's a great idea I'm putting my money where my mouth is and sending something and um, I'll be sending extra as well because I'm not able to support Santa's shoebox this year because um, my local drop off isn't isn't having a Santa shoe box this year, so I'm going to support these guys instead. So that'll be on the Ravelry group. Look out for it. You will get um, five of you are going to get a copy of this pattern. And if any of you want to pass it on and send the pattern to someone else that you know, that would be awesome. So that is the Phoenix hat by Pink Hair Girl. So what have we got now? An interview for you with the lovely Kate Athelie. So for those of you that are maybe not as familiar with Kate and who she is, Kate is the Managing Technical Editor for Knitty as well as a designer of and writer about knitting. Her latest book, Pattern Writing for Knit Designers, draws on her extensive experience as a technical editor and provides concrete guidelines and examples for everything from what information needs to be included in a knitting pattern to how to use charts and written instructions to how to properly and clearly communicate sizing and measurement information. Kate is also a devoted lover of hand-knit socks, hooray, and has a new book for Interweave Press debuting this summer called Custom Socks. Kate teaches extensively in Toronto, Canada, as well as across North America and has online classes with Interweave and Craftsy. So, without further ado, I shall welcome Kate onto the show. Lovely. Okay, so I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Kate Athaly onto the show today. How are you, Kate?
1: Good, thanks. Thanks for having me, Jo. Very excited to be here.
0: Oh, brilliant. Thank you very much for agreeing um, to come on. We uh, It's lovely to have you here. Luckily, I can edit this. That's a good thing. <laughs> Super. Okay, then. So for those people who are maybe not as familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about you as a person and about how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits?
1: Well, I'm a lifelong knitter. Granny taught me to knit when I was little. I don't even remember learning, actually. I just, there was always knitting and there was always Granny who was always knitting. And I dabbled on and off when I was a teenager. And I actually, I was born in the UK, but moved to Canada with my mum and dad and finished high school here in Canada and went to university and you dabble. but when I finished university, all of a sudden I had spare time on my hand, and I happened to live around the corner from the biggest yarn shop in Toronto. I was living in downtown Toronto, and there's, there's this yarn shop It's quite famous called Romney Walls, and it's enormous and ridiculous. It's been around for a very long time, and I don't think they restock so much as just pile more yarn on top of the old yarn. <laughs> so. It's fantastic because you can go digging and find anything and everything and all sorts of great stuff. And so I lived around the corner and would wander past. And one day I went in and I've never really looked back. So I picked up the needles again and, um, and here I am. So it's, it's something I've always done, but once, once I had some spare time on my hands. And then I, um, it was a chance encounter with the girlfriend of somebody I worked with Um, I was working in the software industry at the time, she said she was opening a yarn shop and she was looking for teachers and I didn't even know I wanted to do this, but I found myself shouting the, the phrase, oh, I want to teach, I want to teach. She had no idea, I had no idea, and I started teaching, this was 10 or 12 years ago, and here I am. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. I was very lucky, actually, in many, many ways, because it was sort of luck of location, luck of friendship, and luck of I'm not sure what. But yeah, it's allowed me to build a career out of this. So about six or seven years ago, I gave up the day job entirely and uh, turned this into my full-time, full-time gig. Fantastic. I'm glad you answered that because I was a bit unsure as as to how I was going to get the next question in. Well, what happened for me was that I was teaching in the evenings and I was dabbling in design and I was doing some tech editing and just really sort of doing lots of bits and pieces you do as a freelancer while still trying to do a day job. And I had one of those moments where I was tired. You know, Monday morning you're supposed to be revitalized. Monday morning you're supposed to be full of energy and ready to go for your job. But I realized that I wasn't revitalized and I wasn't excited about going back to my day job because my Yanni work was sort of taking all my energy. Not in a bad way, but I just realized that I wanted to preserve my skills and my talent and my energy and my enthusiasm for the Yanni work rather than the day job. It's a, Perhaps that might, I don't know if that sounds a bit abstract or ridiculous, but I thought if I'm too tired to do one of my two jobs, I don't want to compromise the knitting, I don't want to compromise the teaching. Um, I realized I was willing to compromise the day job, and I thought well that's a sign that mm, something's got to give, and what has to give, or what I wanted to give up was the day job, so I did.
0: Fantastic. I think a lot of people get to that stage, particularly in this industry, where it's that decision time, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And it's funny, it wasn't something I'd planned. It wasn't something where I had a business plan and I had numbers and I knew that I could support myself, any of that. It was more that I was compromising the quality of my work and I didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah,
0: definitely. So going from your full-time gig into working for yourself
1: full-time, what does a typical day look like for you? I'm, you know, having worked for 15 years in industry, I, I think I'm sort of fairly disciplined around keeping a work day. Uh, so I do set the alarm. I do think people, you know, some people sort of have the illusion that I just wake up whenever, not me maybe, but you know, we wake up whenever we want and we just sort of sit around in our pajamas. And But no, I mean, I do I set the alarm. I get up. I have a shower. We typically walk the dog. We've got a dog. My husband also works at home. His schedule's a little bit more flexible than mine. Um, and so I'm at the computer. From about, probably about 8 o'clock in the morning um, until probably about 5 o'clock, you know, give or take a dog walk, Um, and then, you know, in the evenings it's knitting, which is great. I mean, that's still work. This is the funny thing about this life is that you know, um, I'm working in the evenings, in inverted commas, but that work is knitting. And so I do that whether we're watching television or whether we're out with friends. We've got friends coming around tonight. And I will knit, and that's okay, you know. So a lot of my work is computer-based rather than knitting needle-based. I spend more time at the computer because of the writing and because of the editing. Um, And I do a lot of my designing at the computer first. For me, I work the numbers out and I do the charts and I plan everything out before I pick the the needles up. And so, yeah, I you know, Microsoft Excel is probably my most used application. Oh, the
0: glamour, the glamour of Excel. What's it like, taking on a little tangent here, what's it like working at home with your husband?
1: Um, most of the time it works. Um, there are days, I said that what I need to do is I need a red hat that I can put on that means don't interrupt me. <laughs> yes. Um, he's a writer too, so there are times when he's really, really, really focused and there are times when I'm really, really focused, but then there are moments where he's... Surfing the internet, looking for inspiration, and he keeps saying, "Have you seen this puppy video? Have you seen this picture?" Or he's reading something, and it's funny. And that's when I need to put my virtual red hat on. Don't interrupt me. Um, we drink far too much coffee, um, and uh, the dog gets—you uh, know—the dog gets lots of attention. So it actually works well for us most of the times. So. Brilliant. So you touched on it a little
0: bit in the last question but one, Um, can you tell us in a little bit more detail perhaps about your creative process when you develop a new design?
1: Yeah absolutely, I mean uh, for me I tend to work mostly in socks Uh, and so um, it reduces the number of decisions because I know that the next design is going to be a sock and um, one of the biggest inspirations for me is stitch dictionaries and stitch libraries, I just love leafing through them just looking for ideas and it may not be that I'm looking for a specific stitch pattern but I'm looking for a specific fabric effect or looking for just something that will that will kick off a thinking process I just bought this weekend the book Sequence Knitting have you seen this It's unbelievable it's an amazing book it's a beautifully published self-published hardcover book the photographs are incredible and it's just all about creating stitch patterns and playing with fabrics and reversible fabrics and different types of pattern stitches and what you do with repeats you know what what do you do playing with ribbing on uneven numbers of stitches and all of these sorts of things and it's fantastic inspiration because it just makes me look at fabrics and think about fabrics and there's already some sticky notes on some pages where I'm thinking oh I like that that might make a nice you know, detail on the heel of a sock. And so that becomes the kicking off process. So, you know, I get out my charting software and I use Stitch Mastery and I absolutely adore it. Um, So I open up Stitch Mastery and I put some charts together and I, you know, work on some numbers and then I swatch. And so, you know, there are times when I'm working through a design where there's five or six dictionaries open on the table. There's five or six different swatches. I've got spreadsheets printed out. You know, it looks quite mathematical, I think. I mean, that is my approach. Um, And, you know, it's very much a case of where the fabric takes me to. Um, the hardest part for me is when, you, when I've been given a very, very specific requirement, when somebody says, well, it's got to be lacy and it's got to be feminine and it's got to be like this, because it just all of a sudden constrains me a bit too much. Um, and you know, invariably, if somebody tells me they want a lacy sock, I end up designing a cabled sock first. And then the lace, you know, then I come back to the lacy sock. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful and challenging and ever-changing process, and I adore it. But yeah, honestly, Stitch Dictionaries, I must have about 30, and every time I see one that I don't have, I buy it. And so I'm flipping through the Sequence Knitting book now, and it's absolutely amazing. I adore it. I look forward to some really good things coming out of it fantastic
0: do you find that your um background in software development
1: has sort of channeled the way that you approach knitting design oh absolutely yeah absolutely i know a lot of people who are more about casting on and just playing with the yarn and the needles and seeing what happens but you know i my degree is in mathematics that's that's the way i think you know and so that's those are all very much a continuum in terms of my brain and the way I work and what I do things. And my facility with software helps me enormously. Um, you know, occasionally I'll encounter a designer who who does all the all the calculations on paper and it's it's just about, it's an experience thing. You know, I, I can make Excel do handstands so I do and it becomes very helpful. Particularly because I'm actually not that good at arithmetic. Um, most people who study mathematics are terrible to arithmetic. This is a secret. And because um, we're too busy worrying about X and Y and we're terrible with one and two one, two and three, you know. So but so that's absolutely just I think it's all about the way I think. It's not necessarily that software influence what I do. It's just it fits in with how if that makes sense.
0: Yeah it does. I think it's good to hear. From different designers who approach the process in really
1: different ways as well? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I think ultimately the point there is do it in a way that makes sense for the way you think. I mean, I watch, I, you know, I work with a number of different designers and I love seeing their approach. Uh, and it is totally different from mine. And that's great because. They work in the way that makes sense for them. And I you know, it wouldn't make sense for me to work in their way, and it wouldn't make sense for them to work in my way. Um, you know, as the as long as the end result is the same, um, then that's the important thing. And the end result is a set of instructions that another knitter can work from to produce the same result. But some people begin with yarn, some people give, begin with stitch patterns, some people begin with sketches.
0: Fantastic. So Thinking about running a business then, no journey is ever a smooth one. And running a business has its ups and downs. Can you tell us about a time that you failed, what happened and what did you learn as a result of it?
1: Mm. Uh, for me, as a designer, um, you know when I send a pattern out there in the world... Um, you hope it works, you know, you hope people can knit from it, you hope it makes sense, you hope it's clear. And so I think every designer has had a situation where a pattern hasn't worked. And sometimes it's simply a typo and sometimes it's a numbers problem or something like that. And for me, I, um, very early on in my career, um, had a pattern that I, was convinced was great. It was a hat pattern, and I'd made not a major but a small logical mistakes in the way that I'd written the instructions. And it was a pattern that that a yarn shop had. In, that this is my friend's yarn shop. Had included as a knit along, just a casual knit along for their stitch night, and there was you know the instructions weren't right. Um, there was a typo. It was a silly logical mistake, and. Uh, I, we were able to salvage it. I updated the pattern as soon as it told me. I went in. I did a demo. You know, it was all good. We made everybody happy in the end, I think. Um, but we fielded a lot of questions, and I, ca- you know, I know I caused a lot of confusion with that pattern. And the learning there for me was about editing and about having someone check your work and about technical editing. And also on a deeper level, it was about making sure that what you do makes sense to other people, and I see this, and you know, this was before I became a technical editor and, and, you know, I spend a lot of time now with designers checking patterns, and for me it's not just about the numbers, you know it's obvious i and I did this myself the other day, I think I leaned a bit too heavy on the keyboard, and it was simply uh you know alternate decrease in even rounds nine hundred and ninety nine times. <laughs> I'd had too much coffee that day, I think I meant nine um and so numbers mistakes creep into things, but it's not just numbers mistakes it's uh, it's about clarity of communication, you know, and I as an as a newer designer published a pattern that uh, told people to work in seed stitch, well, and I hadn't defined seed stitch because I know what seed stitch is, but of course seed stitch is actually different in the UK versus North America, and so people were asking me why they weren't getting the same result as the thing in the picture. So there was a learning there about, well, my knowledge base is not the same as your knowledge base and so, you know, let's make sure that work we're communicating is clear. And it's so in that case, it wasn't a mistake and it wasn't something wrong, but it was about, if I can, you know, sound briefly technical, it's a usability question, right? It's about assumptions. It's about It's about what people know. So um, there's been an enormous amount of learning for me around that. And it's one of the reasons I love teaching classes, because the questions that knitters have um, inform my approach to a lot of things, inform my approach to editing, but inform my approach to teaching and to writing as well. You know, the thing that someone says, well, I'm not sure about this, and this comes up all the time, well, you know, I must be doing something wrong because I'm getting holes at the top of my sock gussets. No, you're not. Everybody does. It's just about making sure that people understand how to fix it. You know, mitten th- thumbs. Oh, I gave up, I someone said to me this week, I gave up knitting mittens because I was getting holes at the base of the thumb. Well, no, everybody gets holes at the base of the thumb, and we'll just teach you how to fix it and explain how to fix it. So, So all of this sort of stuff really informs what I do as a designer and as a teacher and as an editor
0: super I think it's a really important point because certainly from my point of view when dealing with indie designers in particular you tend to find that the quality and clarity of the instruction in the pattern is far higher than Mm -hmm. commercially produced ones and I'd argue possibly part of the sort of reason why it's becoming so much more popular again yeah yeah. Because you're not guessing half of the,
1: the instructions <laughs> that <laughs> like you would right. be with an old-fashioned one. <laughs> it's true. Well, and the internet's enabled that, too, because the reason old-fashioned patterns were so terse was that paper and printing and shipping was expensive. Uh, and also, you could assume a higher base of knowledge as well, I think, too. Yeah, there's a whole there's a whole sort of sociology and history lesson here about, you know, base of knowledge and what people knew and the information they had available to and local knowledge. You know, I think about this stuff far too much, I think. But yeah, if every, you know, it would be okay to simply say cast on if you knew regionally that everybody used the same cast on and you knew your pattern was only going to be read by people within a certain region. But the Internet has changed this. And so my ca- my preferred cast-on is going to be very different from the preferred cast-on and the preferred knitting method of, you know, of someone in, in, you know, Eastern Europe who uses an Eastern Uncross knitting method. Uh, so you can't just say cast-on. We need to give more information. And so that helps people in different ways. Regions with different regional techniques, and then the byproduct of that is that it helps the 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 novice, that helps the new knitter too, because we're giving more detail. And you know, we don't pay anything for printing anymore, and we don't pay anything for shipping anymore. It's all virtual. It's lovely. The more detail, the better, as far as I'm concerned.
0: I couldn't agree more. Because
1: you teach a class as well on 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 writing. I do, I do. I teach a class on writing patterns and I'm going to be, in fact, in London very soon teaching a class on writing patterns. Um, And this is bringing together really my two worlds. It's bringing together my 15 years of experience in software and my 10 years experience as a knitting teacher and a technical editor. Um, Because I, you know, As I say, it's so important to me that these instructions are good and these instructions are clear and that people should have success because ultimately we knit for fun. It doesn't feel like it some days, you know, when you're ripping it out for the third time, but we do knit to enjoy the process. And as a designer, we want to make sure that our patterns are clear so that knitters enjoy knitting from them. And if they enjoy knitting your pattern, they'll come back and buy another one and knit from your patterns again. And then they'll come back and buy your book. And then they'll come back and attend your classes. And so you want your patterns to be clear. And what I worked out was that my experience as a as a technical writer and as a software documentation specialist, um, you know it's it, very, very applicable because it's about clarity of instructions and it's about making sure that it make, everything makes sense to everybody. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 a lovely way to bring those two worlds together for me, and it you know it's a lovely way of empowering knitters, I think. And so the quality of patterns is something I feel very passionately about. But I also know that it's not a skill that comes naturally to people. Some of the best designers I know and the most creative designers I know, their skill set is in being fantastically innovative and creative. And that's okay. That's where their brain is wired. My brain is wired a little bit differently. I'm not the most innovative and creative designer. I'm not building cool new ways to knit socks. Um, My strength is somewhere else. And so I adore helping knitters express their ideas in a way that makes sense to everyone else, helping designers articulate their instructions so other people can execute them. And let I love letting them, the most creative designers be as creative as they can be and they can use my brain and my class and my book to learn about how to write those instructions in a way that makes sense to everybody. And so yeah, something I feel very passionately about and something I feel very passionate about helping people learn to do
0: fantastic so taking it from from there then and I think we've you know we've we've talked around a few other things in the meantime but taking it from a time where you failed and learned to a time where it's been a high point what has been that high point of your journey
1: so far you know what I think last Saturday two days ago (laughs) yes and let me explain um so I've just uh, launched a book. Interweave has published my book Custom Socks. It's my first sort of major publisher book. I self-published my pattern writing book and I've had two other books with Cooperative Press and they've been fantastic. The reception on those has been great. Um, but um, the, a book with Interweave is a different thing because it it's distributed through many other locations and many other channels and it's on Amazon and and it's available all over the world and it's in shops I've never visited. When you self-publish and you work with a small publisher, the shops that you know and the people that you know and your friends and family buy the book, but all of a sudden, people I've never met buy my book. I know that sounds ridiculous. Um, and the book is in shops I've never visited. And the book was briefly out number one on Amazon both in Canada and in the US and it's absolutely fantastic and a shop that I've been teaching at probably now for seven or eight years um, they're called Shall We Knit and they're about an hour and a half outside of Toronto in a town called Waterloo, they threw me a launch party, they threw me a book launch party, and we did a signing, and we did we did uh, a knit-in public event, and we had contests, and we had games, and we were dyeing skeins of sock yarn with my friend Indigo Kim of Indigo Dragonfly, and it was, oh, it was just, it was lovely, and it was my book, and it was just, and it was all about socks, and we had a great time, and it was just, it was fantastic to see people as excited about this book as I was, so I have to say it was a high point for me, it really was, and just all of the excitement around the launch of this book has been really lovely. It's As I say, you know, I've cared about well-fitting socks for 19 years, that's how long it's been I've knitted, been knitting socks, and to have other people as excited about it as I am is absolutely wonderful.
0: Brilliant. We do like a good sock on, on oh, the podcast, yes. we like a good sock. Good. Excellent. <laughs> it's funny, actually, because some of my relatives live in Canada, in
1: Greenbridge,
0: oh. so I'm quite familiar with a lot of the places you've mentioned.
1: Oh, yes! Have you ever been to Shall We Ness? It's a fantastic shop. I've fantastic. not, no. I've been to Waterloo. I've been to the little oh. airport and stuff, but I wasn't
0: popping it up
1: last time uh, I went. It's quite a few years ago now, so maybe I'm going to have to go again. You should go. Well, there's there's a few things of great note in that region. There's an, One of my favourite yarn shops. Uh, shall we knit but also one of my favourite breweries Grand River Brewing there in Cambridge too so yes definitely a good place to visit
0: super I better get, be looking on Skyscanner for some flights then I think
1: yeah
0: <laughs> brilliant okay then so which one thing that you know now did you wish you would know when you picked up the first ball
1: of yarn um honestly yeah (laughs) i wish i understood gauge um that makes me sound like such a knitting teacher i was talking to someone about that just a few weeks ago and she said you sound like such a knitting teacher um i made so many ill-fitting things um i made so many things that just didn't work and i was desperately unhappy with because i didn't understand about gauge and i know it makes you know it's it's funny because it's a hurdle right you know it makes us sound boring and it makes it sound like there's homework and it makes it sound like we're gonna insist you do things and you know i push my glasses down on my nose and stare at people but that fantastic green mohair sweater which I adored but couldn't wear if I'd known about Gage and that red cotton Debbie Bliss sweater with the cables down the sleeves which oh I loved every minute of knitting it but I couldn't wear it and then that cream cable sweater which came out four times too big that I couldn't wear. And so I spent, and I think a lot of knitters have this story where you spend a lot of time knitting things that don't fit. And it's always a heartbreak. It really is. And I may not have listened if somebody had tried to explain Gage to me, but I would have saved myself some time and some money and some yarn and some heartbreak, I think. So, you know, I think this is probably my quest as a knitting teacher to, to actually help people understand gauge as early in the process as possible without it putting them off. Super. We're into making things that
0: fit as well on the podcast. Have you got a favourite resource that you point people to when they ask you about gauge? Where's the first place you send them?
1: Ooh. Um, well, um, I wrote about this in my first book. Um, And so if I can, you know, without sounding very obnoxious about it, I've actually written about it a fair bit on my blog and I wrote about it a fair bit in my book as well because I I found that, you know, it's often not explained in a really friendly manner. And so what I've tried to do is not just explain what it is, but why we should care in a friendly way. So I often, without sounding really obnoxious, try and point people to the resources that I've provided for them, because I've tried to write about it. So, you know, it's my blog at kateatherley.blogspot.com, or it's my first book, Beyond Knit and Pearl, or... I stand around wearing this green mohair sweater and illustrate for them very quickly why checking a gauge actually matters. This sweater is wider than it is long. Um I love it to pieces because it's a fantastic shade of lime green and I I still sort of wear it anyway. You know, I wear it in fun. Um but you know, it's just if you're going to go to this much trouble <laughs> It's helpful to know what size it's going to come out. And so, you know, my own disasters and the questions I get from the knitters, I, you know, really what drove me to write that first book. And so I tried to explain it in that first book. Fantastic. Will you bring the sweater? I want to see the green mohair. Will you bring oh. the sweater? I'm oh, I, Will you bring it? I, yeah, if, yeah. Well, check the weather forecast because it is big and it is warm. It's fantastic for Canada, I have to say. Um, so depending on the weather forecast, I'll at least bring a picture of me wearing it. So. Yeah, it might be a little bit big to get in the, the old case as well. Well, that's the problem, right? No, seriously, it's ridiculously wide. But, you know, you wear it with sort of a sense of humour and you can sort of get away with it. So <laughs>
0: Okay then, so desert island skeins. I've got a feeling it might be lime green mohair, but I'm going to ask you uh, anyway. <laughs> if you were going to be marooned on a desert island and could only take one skein or ball of yarn, what would you take and
1: why? Oh, uh, this one's easy. A ball of, a hundred gram ball of regia sock yarn. Yes. Yeah. It's been no waiting question. so long for someone to say that.
0: Really? I've I got, love uh, that sock am yarn. Am I love it.
1: In one of the Arnie and Carlos colorways. I'm working with the one that's black, white, orange, red, and blue right now, and I'm obsessed because it it lasts forever. I've got socks made out of that stuff that are 19 years old. Some of my earliest socks were made out of that, and I still wear them. And also because it's hardy, if I really was stranded on a desert island, I could knit it and rip it and knit it and rip it and knit it and rip it. So, yeah, absolutely love that stuff
0: it's amazing every time i hear someone mention it i have to go 10 years 10 years because it's actually guaranteed for 10 years i love
1: it (laughs) yeah it is it is and it just but it's it's not a boring yarn i mean it's a workhorse but it's not boring um because all of these different colorways and all of this different oh yeah no, it's great love it love it yeah and quite
0: affordable as well if you want to try something that's proper wool and not sort
1: of your kind of acrylic end of the, of the scale, it's, it's yep. really achievable, so. yeah, and I discovered it by accident, it was, you know, back to this shop that I talked about, Romney Walls, they have a wall of these engineered sock yarns, you know, these German sock yarns, so there's Regio and there's the Schuller and Stahl Fortissima and the Lang and the Opal and the Online and all of those, and I love all of those, uh, but I think Regio will remain my first love. I can't
0: argue with that. It's great. (laughs) Love it. Mm, Good. So taking it from um, awesome German sock yarn to uh, business and yarn craft, what's your favorite or your go-to resource for yarn craft or business that you couldn't do without?
1: Um, Well, I think, you know, if I'm thinking about the thing that helps make me, successful and the thing that helps me do what I do I would have to say it's got to be my stitch dictionaries Um, because they are so much a source of inspiration for me um, that yeah I, I you know I would hate to give those up I really couldn't give those up I could divest myself of all of my other books and all of my other resources but if I didn't have at the very least the four Barbara Walker books I think I would not be able to work. Fair enough.
0: So uh, where's the
1: best place for the listeners to come and find you? So my website kateatherly.com uh, you can find me there. Uh, there's links off to my blog, to my Twitter. To you can find me on Ravelry. You can find me. I've ju- I've just joined Instagram recently. You can send me an email that way as well. So everything's at kateatherley.com. Nice and simple. And um, yes, but yeah, you can find I'm all over the place. As I say, Ravelry and Instagram and, and Twitter. And um, I'll warn you about Twitter. I do talk a lot about knitting, but I also talk a lot about coffee. Uh, and I talk about our terrible rescue dog. So uh yes, he's um he's definitely a personality in my knitting my knitting career, if only because he's always trying to steal my yarn. But uh yeah, I I'm around and I've actually just started a Ravelry group for my sock book. And we're going to be kicking off a knit along for one of the pairs of socks. And I'm looking forward to as well um, Ravelry being able to use the group as well for discussions on other topics, you know, pattern writing. Because as I say, I mean, it's all been about socks for me the last few days because of the new book. But, uh, you know, I am a technical editor and I am, you know, uh, looking to establish, establish myself as a sort of a... Uh, uh, you know a resource for the pattern writing as well and so i'm looking forward to to those sorts of discussions in the ravelry group as well
0: perfect so do you have any parting words of advice for those who would like to get into the industry
1: yeah i would say there's two things um, that were important lessons for me the first is work out what makes you stand out work out what makes you special um, work out what your particular value is. Um, for me, I understand that I'm not the most innovative designer, and I don't, you know, I, I don't feel that that's a negative. I'm not inventing new ways to knit socks. There are people who are doing fantastic stuff. I mean, I look at what Kat Bordy is doing with new heel constructions and new directions to knit socks. It's amazing. Um, So that's not who I am, who I am is someone who who designs interesting socks that fit well and that are fun to knit and that's good and I like that and I like knowing that that's who I am because what that allows me to do is communicate who I am and understand where I can expect people to be interested in my work. and I know that you know a lot of people who are interested in my work are interested in my work because I help them learn how to knit socks and I help them learn how to knit textured and patterned socks and understand how socks work so that they can move on to things like the work of Cat Body. So I'm not competing with cat, absolutely not. I am helping people build their skills so they can get to her stuff because they should be as excited about her work as, as I am, you know. So and I, I mentioned Kat just as sort of one example. I absolutely love what she's doing. Um, but understand who you are and then learn about marketing. I hate to say it, but once you know who you are and what makes you unique, you've got to be able to communicate that. I did an online pattern writing class earlier this year and it was a it was a sort of a discussion forum And one of the questions someone asked well i've written this great pattern and i've designed this great thing and nobody you know nobody's buying it and one of the other students says well but how have you told people about it and she said well i put it up on ravelry and it was it was fascinating to watch this discussion i put it up on ravelry yeah but how have you told people about it was the question. Because there are so many things out there. There are so many hat patterns and so many sock patterns and so many designers and so many sweater patterns and so many scarf patterns out there. What you need to do is you need to communicate what you're doing and why it's special and how it's special. Because we're all doing something different. and We've each got something special about our work. And so you've got to Market it. It's not you know not enough to just put something on the shelf. You've got to tell people about it. And so, what we do, and anybody in an art in an arts pursuit knows this you've got to learn about how to communicate what you're doing and who you are. So we do, we spend a lot of time marketing. And as a designer, some of that time is, um, you know, on Ravelry and you have to think about buying ads and you have to think about your image. And it's also marketing in terms of things like putting design proposals together for magazines. And so as a designer, you spend a lot of time not designing, uh, my friend Kim, who is a yarn, desire, uh, yarn dyer, as a yarn dyer, she spends a lot of time not dyeing yarn because she's advertising and communicating and all of those bits and pieces. But that's that's massively important. So, yeah, you can build a better mousetrap, but you've got to be able to tell people where to find it and why it's better.
0: I couldn't agree more actually um particularly on the marketing side and people see marketing as being this greasy horrible thing like you some greasy guy in a trench coat sort of yeah. opening your trench coat and showing people your beautifully knit socks
1: yeah and it's
0: not about that it's about getting the right message to the right people in absolutely. the way they want
1: to hear it that's what marketing is it's not absolutely greasy. <laughs> no it's not it's really not it's about hello here i am look at this thing that i've done and i think you might be interested in it and, you know, for me, I understand that, you know, some people don't want to knit socks, and that's okay. We can still be friends. Um, you, know, we, you know, we may have to take a couple of days break, but, you know, it's fine. We can still be friends, even if you don't like knitting socks. Um, but it's about telling people that I have sock patterns, so if you do like socks, then have a look. So not greasy at all. Not uh, you know you are exactly right in the way that you put it. It's just about communicating who you are and what you've got, and making sure that people are able to see it. Definitely, and it, it does feed back into the point you made
0: earlier about knowing who you are and what makes you special. Because if you don't know that, you have no idea who your ideal customer is, and therefore exactly. you've got no chance of giving the
1: right person the right message. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, don't get me started on marketing, honestly. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, I no, think, no, I think this is where my experience in industry has helped as well, understanding, you know, about crafting messages and, and communicating out to your audience and finding your audience and all of this sort of stuff. And it does, it feels quite orthogonal to what we do as artists, but it's so important, so important. So, it's time
0: to get excited. What's next for you? What can we look forward to from
1: your business? So, for me, um, I'm actively planning the follow-up to the sock book. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I'm looking at a different extremity from feet to hands. So I'm looking uh, at mittens and gloves, I don't think I'm giving away too much there, uh, that's something I'm actively working on, and I'm also you know, looking to start doing more international teaching as well, which I'm very, very excited about, because for me the teaching is so important, I mean I do write books and I work as a designer, but Teaching drives so much of what I do. I love engaging with people, and I love helping people, and I love getting questions and helping them be better knitters. And so I'm coming over to the UK, and I'm going to be teaching. Yay, have t- two visits already, which is great. Um, so I'm going to be there for the, um, the Yarn in the City Great London Yarn Crawl. I'll be there at the Pop-Up Marketplace, and I'm teaching a day of workshops a workshop on design, and a workshop on pattern writing. So that's the first weekend of September. Uh, I'm going to be doing some traveling in the US, which I'm very excited about, some teaching. And then I'll be back in the UK. I'll be in Manchester in at the end of February. Um, I'm also going to be doing some shop visits. I'll be at uh, a yarn story in Bath in September as well, Uh, and I'm going to be doing some, we're planning some shop visits in February too, so looking forward to, uh, looking forward to meeting some of, uh, some knitters in the UK and, uh, and learning a bit about what you want to knit there and uh, learning a bit about the sorts of knitting and the sorts of yarn and things that go on in the uk because i travel back relatively often but i've not really traveled back in any great um in a, any great professional capacity so this is really exciting for me i'm looking forward to getting uh getting my hands on some of this fantastic new british yarn that's coming up coming out and uh, just meeting some people who are working in the business there
0: fantastic so we chatted a little bit about maybe some sock tips for us seeing as you like socks and we like socks and to take us back warm us back up for the sock
1: surgery all right so my top tips for sock knitting and number one you might have guessed here is check your gauge I know, I'm very boring, I'm a knitting teacher, check your gauge. Check your gauge because what you want is you want to make sure that you're knitting a sock with a good fabric that's going to wear well. Because if you're going to go to this much trouble, really, make sure the socks are going to last, and a proper sock fabric will give you a sock that's more comfortable and that will last longer, so make sure you check your gauge. Related to that, I always tell people to knit tight. Knit their socks nice and tight. Knit them nice and dense. Because they will wear better. See, there's a thing going on here. I'm all about wear. Because if you're going to go to this much trouble, because it's not instant. Knitting socks is not instant. So let's make sure they last as long as they do. So say, I've got socks that are 19 years old. I can date them to where I was living at the time. because I knit them tightly, and I knitted them to gauge. Measure your feet, know how big your feet are, because you want to make the right size socks as well. Properly fitted socks look better, feel better. Oh, and here we go again, last longer as well. So know the measurements of your feet and choose the right size of sock. I find that a lot of people, you know, you just, um, you know, it's a one size fits all sock pattern. Don't get me started on that. Um, Or they're just, well, I knit 64 stitches for everybody. Well, not everybody's feet are the same size, so make sure that you're making the right size. Don't choose a yarn that's too soft or too fragile. I know it feels lovely on your hands, those lovely 100% merino, very delicate sock yarns. If it feels too nice on your hands, chances are it's going to be too fragile and you're just going to wear through it. I like to say that the softest yarns, they're a bit like the handsome boy in high school. They're just going to break your heart. Choose something that's a little bit odd. Yeah. A little bit more hard-wearing, a little bit more resilient, you know, with a little bit more stuff about it. Uh, like the Regia, I have to say. I'm not being paid by Regia, by the way, uh, but I, the Regia Sarkion, love it. Choose something with some heft and some, some, some substance. Equally, though, don't choose something you don't like knitting with. Uh, you know make sure that you do like how the yarn feels because you want to enjoy the ride you want to enjoy the process of knitting, so if you're not enjoying how the yarn feels, if it is making you itch you know after after an inch of ribbing, then you're really not going to enjoy the process so it's you know it's not a failure to say this sock yarn is not working for me; I will try something else if you don't like how the yarn feels. Don't knit with it because it will just make you miserable and you'll hate the socks that result. Equal if you don't like doing knit one pull one ribbing, that's okay. You don't have to. Change it up. I don't know about you, but knit one pull one ribbing, I find very boring. Uh-huh. If you're not confident about how people will take care of the socks, you should get a hardy wool and nylon blend, knit tight. And make sure it's a colour that's not going to run in the washing machine, because people are going to throw their socks in the washing machine. Um, So uh, you know, I will choose something that's perhaps not a really light colour. When I'm knitting socks for, uh, uh, you know, my brothers, they're not going to necessarily pay attention to how to how to wash them. So they never get light-coloured socks, and it's always a hardy wool and nylon blend that I know is machine washable. If you suffer from second sock syndrome, you can learn to knit two socks at the same time. Or do what I do and mix it up. So I usually have three or four pairs of socks on the go. I've got, you know, the first sock of a stripy pair going, and then I've got the first sock of a red pair going, and then I've got the second sock of a cable pair going, and I've got the first sock of a lace pair going. So, you know, I may not be interested in knitting two two lace socks consecutively, but if I knit a lace sock and then a cable sock and then a stripy sock, the lace sock is fun again. So, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. Have more than one set of socks on the go means you need more than one set of needles on the go, but sock needles aren't too expensive. Also on that point on needles, make them the way you want. If you don't like working with double points, that's okay, use magic loop. If you don't like working with mag- magic loop, that's okay, use double points, or experiment with two circulars, or even those teeny tiny... Circulars. Have you seen these? These eight or nine-inch circulars, the, the twenty-centimeter-long ones. They are for some people. They work fantastically well. So if you're struggling with it, with double points, try a different needle configuration. I do always encourage people to experiment with top-down or toe-up sock knitting. Find the process you prefer. And use that one, you don't have to go the way, just because everybody else likes knitting toe up, if you don't like knitting toe up, that's okay. Stick with top down if that works for you. And I would say last but not least, knit for people who have small feet. (laughs) It, It goes faster. I have a very good friend whose husband has giant feet, he's very tall, Their entire family is very tall, and she's her husband's got this massively large feet. And she must love him an awful lot, because the amount of time it takes to knit a pair of socks for him is ridiculous. Uh, 90 stitches, I believe. Wow. Yeah, as opposed to my usual 56 stitches, so if you're just beginning, or if you're in a rush, knit for people who have small feet. Super. I do have a rather (laughs) random question for you from the listeners.
0: I want to know which is better English cake
1: or Canadian cake? Oh English cake, no question. Have you got a favourite cake? He likes cake. Well you see I'm a fruitcake lover. I adore fruitcake and it is something that they do not understand in North America. I I make a Christmas cake every year and, and there are very few people who enjoy it. Now, what I've discovered that the secret to making North Americans eat fruitcake though is is um more booze than you could possibly imagine. So I just keep soaking it in booze. It's very soggy It's practically a West Indian style um fruitcake at that point. I also love gingerbread as well. And again it's with the treacle, it's darker than uh, than you can get here here. So yes, definitely English cake. I look, I look forward to sampling some when I arrive. I was going to say you've got to get your hands on some when you get over here. I will possibly so if any listeners are uh, you know interested in offering up cake in exchange for perhaps some um, you know sock mentor sock knitting mentoring or technical editing I'm sure we could negotiate something. I'm 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 I'm, I'm open to negotiation. <laughs> you might regret that cake my listeners they take it very seriously <laughs> well and if they take the cake very seriously I'm, all, I'm okay Yeah,
0: <laughs> you better book a spare seat on the way back home <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> superb well thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the show and being such a good laugh and giving so many brilliant tips
1: excellent well thank you Jonah very much enjoyed chatting with you and I look forward to uh, meeting some of you and uh, meeting you and some of your listeners when I'm over in September Super, thank you. Thanks.
0: So, quite a long one, that one, Um, but very interesting. I'm sure you will agree. A huge thank you to Kate for joining us on the podcast. It's always good to get some tips from those in the know, and it's always good sometimes to hear that not everyone who's amazing at stuff now has always been amazing at stuff. Um, And I look forward to seeing those pictures of that green mohair jumper. If you are around in London at the weekend, I think there are just a couple of spaces on those workshops still available, I think. Um, I will put a link in the show notes or you can find it at yarninthecity.com under the events tabs. And finally... Because I forgot to say to at the beginning, and I was halfway through editing the, the interview when I remembered that I needed to tell you about this. Um, you might have seen it on Twitter earlier, um, or not earlier in mean this week, it was last week now, um, where I shared an article after an interview with a good friend of mine, Angus, who I used to work with a little while ago and she's just started a blog. It's called VenturingForAVocation.com and it's going to be her exploration of transitioning to civilian life from being in the military basically and she intends to interview lots of different people who have gone from a, a kind of normal, if you will, career or traditional career and gone off in a completely different direction and what sort of things can be learnt uh, from other people's journeys, if you will. So if you are wondering exactly what it is I do in my course for Will domination, um, I will put a link to that in the show notes. Go over and check it out. Like I said, she's got quite a few different people lined up. I was the first one. So I was very pleased that she uh, asked me and obviously I wish her very well in her new blogging venture and trying that out for sort of the first time really, so I'm sure it's going to be very successful, and uh, yeah, if you want to know anything more about me, there's no Desert Island skeins in there, I'll put that out there now, maybe someone can come and ask me my own questions for episode 100, Um, there is no Desert Island skeins, but there are a a few kind of things to to be learned in there, including an infamous quote of hope isn't a method of getting things done, (laughs) which I did definitely say and wholeheartedly stand behind. So yeah, that's VenturingForAvocation.com but I'll put the link to the article direct in the show notes in case you are listening to this much further down the line and you can't find it then. um, But that's her general website, so go give it a look. Well, I am definitely sure that is all we have time for today. So I would like to take this opportunity to say thank you to all of you for listening. And again, thank you to all of you that voted for the Shiny Bees Podcast in the UK Podcasters Awards. I will obviously let you know how we get on because by... Well, there's only one more show and then it will be the awards. But next week we can look forward to a bit of sock surgery action a return to the usual format. Um, of the show a bit more of the the sections you've come to know and love there'll probably be quite a bit of chit chat from great london yarn crawl as well and uh, it's got to be it's got to be a comedy perfume review in there somewhere hasn't there so in the meantime i hope you'll all have a wonderful week happy crafting and i'll speak to you all again soon bye To the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy, and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided by a music alley, and it is Adam and the Walter Boys, and I need a drink. I need a drink.